Welcome to the Austin Art Talk Podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, and I'm a photographer, podcaster, and writer. And I love art and artists, and I love asking questions and having real conversations. I have a curious nature, and I'm really interested in people, who they are deep down and why they do what they do, what do they love, and how did they get where they are, and where are they headed? Austin is a great city, and I'm grateful to be in the midst of so many talented and amazing artists and those that support them. If you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe where you listen and visit scottdavidgordon.com to learn more about me, other podcasts I produce, and to read my almost daily journal where I share my photography, thoughts and connections, and books that I'm listening to or reading. And reach out if you have an idea for your own podcast and don't really want to deal with the learning curve and all the equipment. Maybe I can help you make your dream come true. This episode is brought to you in part by Eastside Picture Framing, a conservation-quality picture frame shop located within the Canopy Creative Complex in East Austin. Eastside Picture Framing offers you exceptional custom framing and provides insights and recommendations throughout the entirety of the design process. From archival mounting, acid-free matte and backing selections, and UV glazing options, all the way to their wide selection of real wood and metal moldings, they provide the same level of care for each project, regardless of the size or budget. Please schedule your free consultation today on their website, eastsidepictureframing.com, or visit their Instagram page to see examples of their work, at eastsidepictureframing. This week's podcast guest is Gladys Porta. Her work for many people appears to be very otherworldly and fantastical, maybe even sci-fi inspired. But in fact, it is all based on real-life objects and 3D models that she creates in her studio to draw and paint from, while controlling the light and mood to ultimately create space and depth. The inspiration often comes from observing, processing, and reacting to real-life events that have happened in the world and concerns for the future. I'm very impressed with Gladys's willingness to keep pushing herself to learn new skills and gain knowledge to enhance and evolve her artwork over time. We talk about her life growing up in Argentina, working as an educator, transitioning to living in the U.S., and her many years of diverse art classes and schooling to evolve her style and craft to where it is today. Here is Gladys. Thanks for being on my podcast, Gladys. Thank you for taking an interest in interviewing me. Yeah, now I've been following your work for many years. Um, How many shows have you had at Davis Gallery? Oh, I don't know. I mean, solo shows. um, No, solo shows, probably uh, one other. Or it's mostly been like two-person shows when I've shown there. And then many group shows. I have been showing there for many years. Uh, I don't remember. Do you remember the Berman Gallery? Yep. Mm-hmm. I started showing at at uh, Davis when they closed. Okay. okay. Because I showed at the Berman Gallery first. Yeah. Um, so I, I was showing at the Berman Gallery and then they closed. And then Bill Davis <laughs> asked me if I wanted to go show with them and I said great yeah so that many years I don't yeah, it's remember been a while how many since D. Berman closed I do yeah. remember going there mm-hmm. um and we were just at the gallery uh at Davis last night for mm-hmm. kind of a semi-opening I mm-hmm. suppose uh, yeah and it was nice to be able to see your work in person before we talked right and you had mentioned you you had asked me if I had seen your last uh solo show there where you had like a huge 
uh, box mm-hmm. that you could look at, you could peer into these little windows and mm-hmm. see this whole world, essentially like these worlds that you're creating mm-hmm. in your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a really cool piece, a very memorable piece. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think if a lot of people that don't know me very well, they know me because of that piece. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I mean, I like that piece a lot too. And I still have it. Oh, yeah. It's a pain to store. Right. I was going <laughs> to ask but, you about that. <laughs> but... You know, we recently moved to Houston a few months ago. And at that point, it was like when you look at all your stuff and you think, okay, what do I take with me? And I made that box from scratch. I had to learn how to make the LED connections. Yeah, to have I remember it, that. Because it's lit inside. Yeah. It has a double bottom so that all the wires go through the bottom. And, um, and then it's divided into loosely divided into some environments. So I wanted LED lights in illuminating each different yeah, environment. Right. And and I started asking friends who I I thought they knew how to do this and everybody was busy. And at some point I thought, well what the heck, I'm gonna have to learn this. Yeah. Which I was not looking forward to. Right, right. So Very I I got my yeah. yeah, I got myself like a kindergarten level <laughs> <laughs> Um, book on, you know, electricity. And I, I I read that and I put things together. That's so cool. And it worked. And I was like, so amazed that I I felt so proud of myself that I could do that. Um, it's a confidence, confidence builder, I would think. I, I find that the greatest thing is when, especially as we're older, yeah, we, have to learn something totally different from what you ever do and you don't necessarily want to learn it uh yeah (laughs) uh, but and sometimes you do right it doesn't matter but the experience like oh i can still learn something from scratch totally different from what i do in my world yeah i find that is so rejuvenating and so i don't know it makes you feel good that you can you can do things yeah, yeah, it gives you yeah some confidence, confidence in yourself that yeah. you can keep growing. You're yes. not just stagnating exactly. or deteriorating. <laughs> exactly, no, that's true. <laughs> and so, uh, so that was one time that I did, and and actually that piece came right after I took a, a stage design class at UT. Oh wow! I really didn't take that class because that was way after my time as a student there at. Um, I, I went to studio arts mm-hmm. and at, at UT. And way after that, because I was working a lot with models, I thought, you know, this is staging. So yeah. I should look into this. And I contacted the professor that was teaching stage design. And I talked to him and I said, would you mind if I sit in on your class? Yeah, yeah. And he was like, no, sure, come. He looked at my work. I like your work. Yeah, okay. So I pretty much did the class. Oh, I was cool. there every day with the students, did all the assignments. Wow. He even graded me. Wow. He was, he was super cool. William um, Bloodgood was his name. And, um, and I had a blast. And so that what, you know, when you design a stage, Typically, mm-hmm. I imagine there are stages out there in the world that are not like this, but typically you, you have the audience sitting on one side, yeah. all looking in one direction right. at the stage right. and um, for a play. And, and I thought, well, what if you could sit all around the stage? And I said, I'm saying this because I don't know, but there may be theaters like yeah, that. Yeah, no, there are some, for sure. Yeah. There are for sure. But yeah. I thought, well, what if 
if you could just walk around this and look at this scene um, from different angles, and mm-hmm. and I liked the idea of the box with the little windows and looking through them, and you obviously you have a partial view of what's inside, yeah. right? You can just see a certain angle, and then you walk on the other side, and. Uh, I, I just liked that idea and the fact that you couldn't see it other than looking through it through the windows. But it came out of doing this stage design okay. class uh, designing, and um, and then the, also the, the the windows do not have straight glass; it is a lens. Oh yeah, right. So to actually see clearly, you have to find a certain distance, which is about ten centimeters. I forget what is in it. I, I look. I lived in this country yeah, for yeah. like thirty-five plus years, and here I still think in the meter system. Yeah. Um, so that that's when you're the clearest image you see inside. But uh, what it does, it it pushes it further away. It mm. gives it so it looks as if it's further away, and it's possibly bigger it's a yeah. bigger environment or something like an optical illusion yeah 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 to kind yeah. of enhance what you created yeah to make yeah, it seem yeah. like more right so that was um actually there was a friend's idea that i put lenses there at first i just had open windows and yeah. and this is a guy that's a very scientific guy and he says you know it'd be cool if they were like you know the the these little things you have indoors that you look through to yeah, see who's like a there peepholes and and I thought, oh, okay. And then I started researching what kind of lenses I would need. I bought some online to try. I also, these optics things are not at all in my realm of knowledge. Yeah, another thing to learn. So, about, yeah. yeah. So I went online and bought a few of these things and, and tried them. And I found these that I thought, ah, yeah. I bought them in England. Uh, it's mm. just not that easy to buy yeah. These things, uh, specific things. Yeah, they're very unique. Yeah. yeah so. Wow, I'm so impressed. Um, I didn't really know this uh, as much about you, which is a great thing about doing an interview to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm so impressed with um, just your desire and courage, I suppose, in a way to keep pushing your limits. I mean, it sounds like that's you're not afraid of that at all. Um. Well, uh, I I'm not sure that it's my direct instinct okay as a person yeah <laughs> but i was just fascinated with that idea of yeah, <laughs> this little yeah. world in a box so i went and i did that and um but um i think in general my work is rather consistent mm-hmm. even when you s- think yeah. of that and yeah. you look at what i'm showing today drawings and paintings and and sometimes, uh, and, and often I pair them with models, but I've done a little 3D also because I really li- love making the 3D things. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that last yeah, week. Um, so that's like a very hands-on creating a f- three-dimensional object as opposed yes. to creating a two-dimensional piece of art. Yes. Which even some of your works last night do have some more, you know, physical it's pieces, a collage element. Collages yeah, right. to them. But mm-hmm. I guess maybe just for anyone that's listening that's not completely, you know, completely unfamiliar with their work, you know, I guess my takeaway from the show is that it's like these. So you're essentially all, like you said last night, like 99% of your work is based on models. So you're taking real world objects, mm-hmm. uh, things that you find, <laughs> things that, are, that you're, are around you, mm-hmm. and you're creating these models, sometimes very kind of temporary 
little setups, like you said, that don't survive. And then some like the models that are in the gallery that are uh, solid Mm -hmm. and um, persist Mm -hmm. and you're, and you can then see the models and then see the painting that Mm -hmm. inspired them Mm -hmm. um, or vice versa. Um, So you're painting from, you're creating these models, you're drawing and painting these really what they look like to me are like these kind of fantastical alien abstract worlds Mm -hmm. i don't know do you think of them that way or how do you how do you think not really but i know everybody else does (laughs) (laughs) so how would you describe it it? doesn't matter you you know that's yeah yeah yeah. a a lot of people wonder if i'm into science fiction and i read science fiction or watch movies not at all actually i'm not interested much in that um no um they to me they're actually the real world okay yeah it's just uh you know like obviously are they obviously are they are because they're solid life right there are solid things that exist in the um you know it is when i build these models i usually maybe i have seen some shapes sometimes it's a landscape sometimes it's an image in a magazine or Hmm. you know something and and i i love a shape or a composition or sometimes sometimes a composition a lighting situation you know and then i i i just that gets stuck in my brain Mm -hmm. and i have to put it on 3d yeah so i i start building it with whatever i have and as i build it i start adding things or I look at, I, I built, say, a structure and I think I need a metal piece here of some kind or a plastic or a, or something soft a or whatever, or, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Or I start looking at the shelves that I have full of junk and, oh, yeah, and nice. I start pulling things from there and I think, oh yeah, this goes here. So I don't necessarily see it as I'm creating fantastical worlds, but that's what I guess they end up being mm-hmm. uh, for most people. But for me, when I'm making these things, I'm thinking of what's going on in the world. Yeah. I'm someone who... Um, so the, the things that I think about a lot are where are we going yeah. as, as, as a species, you know, mm-hmm. humans, uh, culture, what happens in the world, sometimes immediate events, mm-hmm. political or not. And I translate that into these constructions, right? So that is, I guess you could say the meaning or where it starts or what's what's guiding me to make these things. But because I am not painting the actual event or the straight in a straightforward manner, it ends up coming out like a fantastical science fiction, futuristic, futuristic yeah, yeah, is another yeah. word people use. Right. It, it ends up coming out like that, mm-hmm. which... It's fine with me, you know. I mean, that's how I work and that's how my mind thinks. I also feel that when I make these models, I am drawing with objects. Mm. Um, I I do sketching too when I start with an idea, maybe, but it's like a a very small sketch with a composition, a very rough thing. And then I, I, I need to see it in 3D in front of me and I start pulling things together. And then, Mm. of course... The light is very important to me. So in my work, there's typically a sense of space, mm-hmm. depth, yeah. right? Because these things are 3D and the sense of light. That is the mood of the painting or the drawing yeah. is 
in the light. And you're controlling that because you have the model and then you have the light mm-hmm. and you're kind of mm-hmm. curating this scene mm-hmm. and then you're painting that or right, drawing or it. drawing that. Mm-hmm. And and when I had my studio in Austin, which I still don't have a real studio in Houston, I'm using half of a room that has the best windows in the house. Yeah. In it. But um, I I had some structure kind of hanging from the ceiling that was a mesh where I could hang things from strings yeah. with little hooks so that I could... Because sometimes, you know, in the real world, in, in a drawing or a painting, you can make something fly. Yeah, right? right. But in the real world, if you want to have something fly, <laughs> it has yeah. to be hanging from something. Yeah. So I had that. And so I would... I, I had a, a large, like a large dinner table size mm-hmm. with this thing hanging from the ceiling. So I would make my model there. And if it was something that had a very low light and it was going to be like a night scene, if you want mm-hmm. to describe it like yeah, that, yeah. I would hang curtains like fabric all around it and leave only like a little peephole for me to look through. Oh, wow. So that I would have the light on. And then when I was painting, I would just open that bit and look through that so that I wouldn't have daylight that I had in the studio yeah. for working. I wouldn't have daylight come and pollute my yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> my scene. You're, it's very controlled. Yeah. It's extremely controlled. Yeah, yeah. And But a lot of times I'm just working with daylight on. It doesn't matter because it's it goes with what I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. So unique. It's a little obsessive. (laughs) Somebody once made that comment. Ooh, you are pretty obsessive, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And then, uh, but then, of course, uh, sometimes I just love the models. Mm -hmm. I just, um, and you know how it started that I started working like this. Um, I I always liked to draw and paint since I was a kid, and and. Of course, I didn't do that the first time around in college. I came back to I came by to studying art much later. Mm-hmm. Um, and you grew up in Argentina, right? I did. I okay. did. I grew mm-hmm. up in Argentina, so I did college there, but it was a different and a different topic. Yeah. Um, so I actually turned for <clears throat> sorry forty when I was going to UT here. Okay. So it was later. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so I was taking painting one, and you know that in painting one, you paint still lives. Mm-hmm. So we had to bring stuff from home to have have a still life to work from. And and I had my children. I have two daughters that were in elementary school at the time. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of these little plastic toys, and you know, you'd go to some restaurant, they give you these little thingies, and so yeah, I had yeah. that. And I brought a couple of little girl figures. Yeah. And I had all sorts of other stuff, like not necessarily what you would think of as still life, right? Yeah. But blocks and uh, other objects. So I set up myself and then I take one of the little girls and I put it there and I turn on my light yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this is another world. Yeah. I am there. Wow. <laughs> and I thought I would like it to feel like, you know, these uh, environments that I paint that you can be there. I would like yeah. the viewer to feel that you could walk there. And yes, it is a strange place, although it does come from our lives, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so when I did that, I just loved that idea because mm. um, I liked to paint people too a lot. I I did paint oh, the okay. figure quite okay. a bit when I was from from models. I did that a lot and I enjoyed it. But when I got into that, um. 
I really got into it. Mm-hmm. And, so um, no bowls of fruit for you? Just <laughs> No. Well, if I'd had a bowl of fruit, probably I would have put some strange, unusual thing, like <laughs> pins uh, stuck to the fruit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, like, <laughs> With strings joining them. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, started, I, I started doing that. And at UT, of course, I learned. I, I took mostly painting and printmaking. Yeah. And uh, the painting I learned from Dan Sutherland about color, and he's an amazing painter. Mm. I mean, his work is it's, it's amazing, so sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, and What kind of feedback were you getting from your teachers when you were kind of maybe diverging from what most people do with these kind of setups, these models, uh, no, these kind no, of other worlds. They're fine with it. You're, yeah. They're artists. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, no, nobody Anything said, goes. well, what, yeah, no, yeah, you're not, uh, you know. But um, the truth is I was learning to paint at yeah. the time. So that's what they're focused on. And especially right. in painting one, uh, with Dan Sutherland, it was later. I um, actually had, Painting one with um, what's his name? Uh, this very well-known African-American painter. Uh, yeah. That's a was I think he teaches at the University of Houston now. Okay, uh, a faculty. Michael Ray. Michael Ray Charles. Yeah, I thought that's who, who you meant. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I have these. Uh, we in Spanish we call them lakes. When you're trying to think of something and you don't remember, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mental lakes. You're just stuck in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was painting one. But uh, when I was talking about Dan, it was more, uh, you know, learning about space, mm-hmm. conveying space on a 2D surface and, and, and color. He is excellent about mm. that. And so I learned that and uh, I learned about that from him and always been very grateful about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and at that time, were you committed to becoming an artist or were you just kind of exploring your options or what, what was that stage of your life like being a mom? And Yeah, well, I like I said, I always, as a little kid, I was a maker. Yeah, okay. Not just drawing and painting. I just was a maker. Mm-hmm. I loved doing things like that. And, and then uh, when uh, I never, when... I was done with high school. Studying fine art was never on my radar. Yeah. Okay. You know, when I listen to the interviews that you've done with other people, it's so funny how we are so constrained by the worlds we grow up in, sure. right? Like what you see around you, right? If you grow up in a family of doctors, that's your world, right? If yeah. You, yeah. And my parents um, were, you know, my dad was an engineer. I mean, we actually would go if, uh, to museums and nice. especially when I was uh, 17, we went to Europe. So we went to the museums whenever, you know, in the yeah. Vatican in in France and we did do that. But there, was, there wasn't a particular focus on art right. in, in my family. And um, when the, the first time that actually I became in contact with art history, um, when I was 15, mm-hmm. um, so I, we, we, I, I was born and grew up in Argentina. Yeah. And my dad, being an engineer, he had an opportunity to work in Venezuela, um, which is and was an oil country. Yeah. He had a contract for a couple of years to, to work in a pipe making or 
uh, threading mm -hmm. business. So we moved there when I was in high school. Oh, okay. Wow. And yeah, you know, it's funny because people, when they think about Latin America, is most countries speak Spanish except for Brazil, and we all probably are perceived as sharing the same culture which is so not true. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and each country has this very specific culture, makeup of population, you know, different degrees of immigrants and natives and, yeah. you know, from and um, just different peoples mm -hmm. with different cultures. So when I went to Venezuela, it was, oh, culture shock. This was a Caribbean country. I come from tango country, which yeah. is a different, darker yeah mood <laughs> yeah yeah especially and, in high school that must have been really hard yeah but um and and at that age it's like your friends are your life yeah you know it's wow. like but you know my parents actually asked us if we were okay with going there for a couple of years and of course they said you know it's on the caribbean we'll go to the beach and it's like okay okay yeah. <laughs> yeah. and and so uh there because the school systems are different mm -hmm. you when you go there, you kind of have to make up for what you was different in your own school yeah, system. Right. Wow. So in Argentina, we had art. I think it was like the last two years of high school. And in Venezuela, it was the, the beginning, the first two or yeah. something. So I got there and I hadn't taken art in high school. Oh, wow. So they said, okay, you have to take a final exam with all the art curriculum. And I said, well, so what's the curriculum? Well, you know, you just go buy a, a high school art book and you just study that and come and, it's, and, and, and do the test, which I think was multiple choice. Yeah, okay. So I went and bought this book. And this book, I mean, it was extensive art history from, you know, prehistory until the 70s or so, right? Wow. And so... I had we had I had a week, a whole week to study this before That's the it. test. So oh, I geez. sit there and I go through this. One thing I'm a very disciplined person and and I was a good student. Yeah, so, so you did I it. just said that. <laughs> I and actually I liked it. I yeah. thought this is really interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I went and to take the exam and the questions were like, what are the primary colors? It's like, ah, Okay, yeah. so I, I, I just studied all this, and then you ask me what the primary colors are. But yeah. Anyways. That's cool. So that wow, was you my first. It. You crammed I did, history. I did. And so I, <laughs> so I was um, left with this impression, like, I really yeah. like this, you know? Yeah. Um, then I finished high school there, and uh, I had no clue what to study, really. Absolutely no clue. Mm -hmm. And we went back to Argentina, uh, by the way, you know when the, the, you do the psychology vocational tests in yeah, high school? So right. the psychologist told me, well, you know, your visual scores came very high. You should maybe study architecture. And I, I don't know. I didn't relate. I just couldn't. That didn't click. Yeah. So I went back to uh, Buenos Aires and I had to take all these other tests for the classes to get the equivalency of high school out of for these two years wow. that were different. So yeah. I crammed again. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Wow. Um, you know, Argentinian history, uh, you know, Argentinian government, all these things that I didn't study in Venezuela. Right, right. And, uh, and after that, I had to sign, you know, I have to sign up for college because no college was not an option in my family. Yeah. And my mother says, you know, you've studied English all your life. Uh, language, the language, right? Yeah. Since I was seven, I was sent to English classes outside school. Because it was considered 
a, a clear advantage for jobs later on, and yeah. you know. So but that was unusual, or was no, that... no, no, no. And middle class kids, and now it's even more common. Okay. But when I was a kid, most middle class kids would be sent to English classes okay. outside school, you. or because you at that time we didn't study English until high school, and it was only like maybe two or three years, and nobody really learned. Yeah. The, yeah. And um, you know, well. Right. It's like, I don't remember that much French from my school. It's same, exactly same thing, French yeah. or Spanish. And um, so um, she's like, you know, you studied all these years in high school. And when I was 14, we spent a few months in the US because mm. of my dad's job. Yeah. And I was sent to school, actually went to middle school for two months so that I would learn English. That was another traumatic experience. Oh, jeez. <laughs> another huge culture shock. Wow. More than... Venezuela oh. came later, right? Yeah. Traumatic in the sense that you just don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I didn't understand. Even though I'd been studying English for a, a long time, I was studying with Argentinian teachers with their accents, right? right? And then you come here and people talk to you fast. It was in Cleveland that we were. Oh, yeah. And I just didn't know what they were telling me. And yeah. then I had to do the schoolwork and... Yeah, wow. it was just, it was just, it like of course, intense it didn't, <laughs> schooling. I know it didn't experience. matter because at the end I was not going to stay here. So yeah. if I passed the class, but okay, right. um, by the end of the two months, I remember one of the friends, because you still make friends as a kid. It says, you know, your English is getting better. Now we don't have to repeat like four times for you yeah. to know what we're saying. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, so, how, do you, how do you think that all of those kind of varied schooling experiences formed who you are now. And then like college too, like you didn't study art in college. Was art always in the back of your mind somewhere after you'd kind of learned the art history and you'd kind of grown up being interested in drawing? I mean, where did, uh, were you always thinking about it for those 40 years before you went back to UT? I guess, well, um, so... Well, I guess I, I brought up the English coming to the U.S. Yeah. because when, the, so my, my English, uh, background was pretty strong. And so, cause to study, cause what happened is I, I went, when I went to college in Argentina, I ended up studying English as a second language. Okay. Because of my mother's suggestion, like, well, you know, you've done this. If you don't know what else to do, at least you end up with a teaching degree for yeah. high school. Yeah. So I, I went to teacher's training college and I studied English as a second language. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I like teaching a lot I, because I'm a social person. I, mm-hmm. I, I like, and I started working. The first job was with 10 year olds. Not. <laughs> no, didn't work. I didn't have, I didn't have the, the kid ability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To, to manage a group of the children. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started working with adults and I loved it in mm-hmm. business. Mm. I was teaching English in companies like Xerox or so. So they had like the, their upper management or people they would be traveling to the U.S. on business. Yeah. So we would do these classes. Uh, I worked for a company that, so they were organized in groups by level and it would mm-hmm. be in the conference room and it was great. Yeah. They give you a coffee when you came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the teacher, I mean, the students were all older than me. I was like 25. Oh, yeah. And I had a blast. I mean, it was nice. But I could not see myself doing that 30 years later. Right, right. So after working on that for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. and after, I guess, having broken up with a boyfriend, uh, I thought, I want to just go somewhere 
And because my family had this background of going places yeah. and, you know, going abroad and things, I started looking at schools and I saw that in the U.S. you could do a master's degree in adult education. Because after all, that was a field. I was still not breaking totally with the yeah, field. Right. That was a field I was in. And yeah. I thought, I could go and do a master's degree in adult education in about a year. And that would be fun. And that would improve my English more. Mm-hmm. And so I... I started writing to schools because I didn't have money to pay for graduate school to see if I, and and Penn State University answered and they said we have an assistantship. It's a you know you still have to get yourself here, but you do twenty hours of work a week and we pay your tuition, wow. which was great. Nice. And you got like two hundred and fifty dollars a month uh, stipend, mm-hmm. but you know. Back then, you could pay the rent with that. Yeah. And so I had some savings from when I worked, and my dad ha- helped me some. So I came, and that was another great experience mm-hmm. uh, because I met people from all over the world. Yeah. Which, living in Buenos Aires, uh, I had not. I had not been mm. in, in that uh, environment. Back, yeah. the, so this expat culture that now is global, where there's in big cities around the world, you always find a lot of foreigners, usually young people living there. And that didn't exist back Mm. then. So this was 1985 when I came here. That, that, it was a different, well, there was no internet for one thing. So that's the other thing. I signed up for this school in the middle of Pennsylvania and I'd never seen what it looked like until I got there. (laughs) And And then, yeah, people don't know that now because now you can see everything you want online. Yeah. And so I got there and this is this very rural environment with this beautiful campus in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I arrived at night and my advisor picked me up in this tiny airport. There was like a shoebox. And, yeah. and we started driving through the forest and it's totally dark. And I'm like, oh my God, and now this guy's a serial killer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and there's just what trees. I and I thought, into? where yeah. are we going? But, so. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there we are in, on campus, right? Yeah, nice. So, <laughs> and that is, you know, when you don't know where wow, you're going, yeah. it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I did that. I got a master's in adult education from mm-hmm. Penn State. And I met my husband there, who's, okay. Dutch, who's Dutch. And my group of friends were all the international students because the, well, first of all, graduate students, uh, we didn't really hang out with the undergrads. Yeah. The undergrads were probably 95% American, I guess. Yeah, okay, and, right. But there was a huge body of international students uh, doing graduate work. And we all hung out together, the Africans, the Europeans, the Latin Americans, you know, that we went, we all went to each other's parties and things mm-hmm. like that. So there was a lot of couples from different continents forming at, yeah. at the oh, time. Yeah. So that, you know, I, I just loved that time. It was so fun and so interesting that what's most interesting, I think, is that being from a Latin American country, I was friends with a guy from Zimbabwe who we shared a lot less culturally than I would with Americans. Mm. But yet, because we're all on this boat together, we're graduate students abroad in a foreign country, you make those connections, right? Yeah, yeah. But I remember I realized that one time he told me, 
you know, if my brother dies, he had older brothers and he's married and has two kids, I have to marry his wife. Oh, wow. Because it's like you take care of his family. As a, as a brother, it's your duty. Yeah. I don't know uh, if that's the case today. But yeah. back then he told me that. And I was like, wow. I thought, we really don't know each other's cultures very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but I really enjoyed that. I loved yeah. it. And that gives you a different mindset. Um, sure. You know, a more global mindset, I guess, yeah. if you like. And during this time, all this, all these years, were you doing any art at all? Were you drawing or sketching? Nothing. Nothing. Zero. Okay. That stopped after when I did art in high school. Okay. I was drawing and everything. And, and you never thought about it? Never felt a draw to it in any way? I just was too busy. Okay. Yeah. I was studying other stuff and I was young and I wanted to socialize and be with young people. And um, uh, no, so I, I totally disconnected with drawing for a number of years. Then um, we got married, my husband and I, who we met at Penn State, Yeah, we got married and he started working, a professor started a, a simulation company and my husband started working for him. But then when the company grew, they moved to, to Pittsburgh. Okay. So we went there. We By then we had a five-month-old daughter mm -hmm. and I was desperate to get out. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anyone in Pittsburgh. And so when I started thinking, what can I do? And I was on a student visa. We were trying to get our green cards, Yeah, which is another huge thing uh, right. that is, takes a while, a long time. But the company my husband worked for was sponsoring him nice. to get a, a green card. But I couldn't, I couldn't legally work right. I, because I still had my student visa. And actually, I couldn't leave the country either because I couldn't come back on a student visa. I was not a student anymore. Right. So we were in some sort of a limbo. And as we worked with lawyers, so um, I started taking art classes. Oh, That's when okay. I thought, I want to get out of the house in the evening when my husband came back from work, leave this baby with him. And have something for yourself. Have something yeah. for myself. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I did was watercolor. Hmm. And I loved it. I got into that and it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It is beautiful. Yeah. So not, not just watercolor, just going there and drawing and all hmm. these things. I was just, I was, I just loved it doing that. So the whole time we were in Pittsburgh, that was about four or five years. I was taking classes, art classes. Hmm. Uh, I think I started. Probably also started pastels there. I, I did different things in community college mm -hmm. and a museum school, also art school. And then we came, then we moved to Austin. My husband got it. Well, through that, we, we ended up getting, getting our green cards and then yeah. that, that was over. And so my husband changed jobs. He went to, um, he got a job in Austin. Mm -hmm. We came here. And the first thing I thought, I started looking at art classes. Yeah, yeah. My kids were then four and six, more or less. Mm -hmm. And I, I, did, I took some classes at the Doherty Art Center at um, Laguna Gloria. Right. And at some point, I kind of ran out. And I had taken, I think it was Sydney Yeager was teaching at Laguna Gloria. And she said, you know, you could always go to UT. And I thought, oh, yeah, I had not thought about going back to <laughs> So I, I, I signed up for studio art uh, undergrad as an yeah. undergrad because I wanted to take all the, the actual classes. Yeah. Uh, 
and I, I started focusing, well, I started with design and, um, you know, uh, 2D design, 3D design and mm-hmm. painting and all these things. Uh, so I, I did all that. Um, I never graduated. I never got a bachelor's degree because I was not interested in yeah. that. I just wanted to learn the skills. Right, right, right. So I did that and printmaking. Uh, which I also enjoyed a lot. And, and then at that time, because I was taking one course a semester, because my kids were going yeah, to, to school, right. and then I would go to UT. It, it took a while. It took a few years to exhaust all these classes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then um, my kids were getting closer to going to college, and I thought, okay, we can't be paying for college. <laughs> I can't be doing this yeah, anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now it's going to be their turn. Right. Um, and so that's when I, I stopped going to school and, and I just continued paint. I, I had occasional jobs teaching, mm-hmm. um, but they were always part-time teaching mm-hmm. Spanish okay. uh, in community college and uh, English also to ACC has a program for immigrants, you know, um, teaching them English as a second language, which is a great program. Mm-hmm. Really, and uh, I felt a little bit bad when I stopped doing that because I was more than their teacher. I was their source of information yeah. on American matters. Right. I was almost Help like a, a mother to yeah. some to some yeah. degree to yeah. some of them, mm-hmm. and uh, so I felt like I was abandoning them yeah. to some degree when I stopped. But all the classes were late in the evening. I just you know, yeah. I just didn't want to do that like that. So, And did you at any point over all these years of taking these art classes start thinking of yourself as an artist? Did that ever, was there ever like a mental transition or when did that happen? Well, or that was, that was, that was, no, well, <laughs> I, can say, I can say, well, when I started going to UT at some point, I, I thought I, I will show my work to some galleries and see uh, if they are interested. And actually, I knew a woman who had a, who was an artist and her husband was an architect. And so they had a space in South Austin and she would show her work and other people's. And she liked my work. So I started showing there. Mm, okay. And for whatever insane reason, I thought I'm going to show my work to the environment that was kind of a new gallery in town. And, yeah. uh, the, and the fact is, there wasn't that much in Austin back right. then. No, no. There was really like... Uh, there was a Lions Matrix when I came, but that eventually closed. And so I went there with a photo album with all my photos of work and Anastasia was working there and mm-hmm. they liked it. And yeah. they invited me to participate in a group show. And then, then I stayed there with them. So I guess at that point, maybe I felt, okay, now I suppose I'm an artist because I'm showing in a gallery, in, an, in, yeah, an, in, yeah. a, in a real gallery. So I guess at that point is yeah. when I, but you know, artists, they always feel, um, I guess, uh, yeah, a little self-conscious about right. that, right? When, right, absolutely. Uh, when you start. But I also found as I navigated this culture, when I came to college here, to I mean, to graduate school, I found that a lot of people here uh, this this was very different to me. Hmm. Uh, that you would talk with a young person at a party, and and I would say, well, so what do you do? And then they would say, well, I'm a writer. 
And I was like, oh, wow. And I imagined this person publishing books like crazy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then she's, and I said, well, what do you write? Well, you know, I don't know, this here and there. And so, you know, what's the latest thing? You're, well, like three years ago, I wrote <laughs> an article. So what happens, what I found is that people would, would say more easily, I'm yeah. a writer or I'm, I'm, I'm a painter or whatever, when they might do it part-time yeah. and uh, k kind of as a hobby maybe, or maybe because they, they, they liked it so much or they connected with it so much, yeah, right. they would classify themselves as a writer. And for me, coming from my culture that is very academic, yeah. right, the, the kind of education you back then, I don't know, uh, like <laughs> man, you have to toil for years and right. publish a book before you and can exhaust <laughs> all the classes at every place you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and publish a book and, yeah, you yeah, know, right. and, and, and then you can say you're a, a writer, uh, right? Okay. And, and so I was like, oh. But then what I thought is the good thing about that is that it opens those possibilities for you, mm -hmm. right? That you, you can actually do this. It's not like, oh, this is for the people who have gone to university right. for years and they have, and, and I don't have that. And I, so I think it, it opens the possibilities yeah. of, of, uh, and choices, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think that it may lessen the self criticism, mm. the, the self evaluation. If you just say, but I'm not sure about this, this is yeah. something that may You're or may not. About, happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. If your work is on a par with famous writers, which I don't know that it is when people claim they're writers, right? But I, in my imagination, if you claim you're a writer, okay, you're together with Hemingway or Shakespeare. Yeah, right. or <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a and high then, bar. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is just an example, right? Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe right. they just said, I'm a writer because they like to write. Yeah. So, yeah, I but know. this is see where cultures get when you, two yeah. cultures meet break down. Yeah, how do you understand what this person means? Right, right. But I'm a writer. Uh, you know, I interpreted it like that, but maybe I'm so hundred percent wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think you're kind of in the middle now? When you or maybe when you started showing your work and you were like, okay, maybe I'm an artist. Did you do you feel like you? kind of had a little bit of uh, maybe half U.S., half Argentina kind of like could, standard as far as what an artist is? Or do you feel well, like... Well, I mean, I've done this for a long time now. Um, the I, I think what happens with immigrants, and my grandfather, who was Italian, already said this, mm -hmm. you don't belong anywhere anymore. When here... I'm going to be an immigrant for the rest of my life. I have mm. an accent because I didn't learn to speak English as a native speaker here. Yeah. Right? Typically, uh, you can learn uh, to speak a language as a native until age 14. And then, mm. then you will have an accent. When you learn yeah, a language right. after that, you will have an accent. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I will have my accent forever. And... The first 25 years of my life, that is when I came here, are so important Yeah. in the concepts that you learn, the culture that you learn, you know, what's, yeah, the concepts. Yeah. Um, that, that is not erasable right. to some Absolutely. degree. It's always there. Now, when you are an immigrant, and I've already lived in this country longer than I lived in Argentina yeah. in my life, yeah. I feel I know this culture pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of American, well, all my friends are American, obviously. I have some foreign friends, but 
um, my children were born here, but I, I will always feel a little bit different because mm-hmm. I, I was not born and grew up here in, in my youth. Yeah. And when I go to Argentina, of course, I understand the culture there, but I see it from the outside because I've mm. been away so long. Yeah, right. And I evaluate it with American eyes, right? Because mm. now I have this other point of view. So I look at what's going on and, you know, there's always like, oh yeah, this is, people do this like this here, right? Yeah. So that's why you don't belong 100% anywhere anymore mm. when you've been gone long enough. Um, do you feel like you belong in the worlds that you create in a way <laughs> then? <laughs> I mean, is that uh, well, some kind of a limbo in, in no, a way? Well, those are my, the, the, the see, because I perceive those worlds as the real world. Yeah, They're okay. observations on the real world. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, you know, when 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 you move away from yeah f- from your source. In yeah, a yeah, sense, yeah, yeah. But but it is great. It is great. It's expansive, and, right? I mean, yeah. Um, I wonder then how how has your work changed from when you were showing it first started showing it till now? Like how what kind of span of a time is that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it could be from the early 2000s. Okay. And has your work changed a lot over that time? I wouldn't say so to some degree. Um when I when I started showing at the Berman, I started using toys to create these worlds, mm-hmm. right? But as I said, they were all based on what's going on. Yeah. They were metaphors, if you want. Okay. Like these little figures represent yeah. Um, these countries, these political leaders, whatever, right? Mm. A lot of th- people, actually, probably most people don't know this, but sometimes that's how it is. And so I was creating these metaphors of what was going on. But, um, but at that time, I was probably almost exclusively using toys. So what's changed, what changes is the materials that okay. I use. And the models. And yeah, the, the models, of course. But so... When you change the materials, the models change. So after after a while doing that, I started doing, uh, including hardware, things from Home Depot. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'd go things from Habitat for Humanity. I would go there and find interesting mm. shapes or objects. Uh, I sometimes I see things and I, you know, a little plastic crocodile, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I I just I just like so you these became objects. a collector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it changed in those ways. It also changed in the sense that uh, I would shift from interiors to landscape. Hmm. So there was a, a time when I I, for example, did a series of paintings of what I called the rooms of the mind. And that's what it was. I imagined that in the mind we have like rooms and then you walk into one room and you have a bunch of stuff. You walk into open a door, walk into another yeah. room and you have a different bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with memories or feelings or whatever. So I made paintings of these rooms. Yeah. Right? Um, that, that reminds me of the mental practice of uh, it's a way to remember things do you know what i'm talking about it's like mm-hmm. the uh, memory the, the palace or something memory or, palace yeah. mm-hmm. do you know what i'm talking about no i it's, don't know memory it's palace. where um you make an association with an object yeah well there's like a a, a way that some people that 
memorize huge chains of numbers or or words or names they'll create what's called a memory palace in their mind and oh, yeah, and yeah. it's like yeah. a space that they're moving through and as they move through the space they come upon the things that they're trying to memorize mm-hmm. so that they're creating almost like this virtual world and then when they want to remember it, then mm. they go through the space and then everything's there that they okay. saved okay. in a way. Okay. So that's kind of, I don't know, it kind of reminded me yeah, of what you're talking Yeah, I mean, I like that bit. idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, so I did go through a, a time when I was painting um, more like rooms. Then I also went through a time when I was painting still lives. They were still lives with, um, in that I was not trying to create a world, but they were just collection of objects that were a little bit different. They were not the fruit or the flowers or whatever. And they would suggest something, but it was clearly these objects and they were painted very realistically. So I did that too. I I, for a while, I kind of wanted to walk that path. Like this is a still life, but you know, there um, they're recognizable objects, but it uh, because of the lighting and the arrangement, which is not an everyday arrangement, yeah. um, may suggest something else. Yeah. And then I went back to, okay, this is just fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Whatever comes out. <laughs> yeah. and, and the materials that I use will often take the work in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, in 2019, we went to spend six weeks in the Netherlands with my husband to to keep my mother-in-law company, who lives alone. And so we 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 went there. It was in the winter, and um, my husband rented a small office nearby, so that because there was not a good place in the house, he needed to continue working, yeah. and I wanted to do something too. So there was a small it, it was a small office in a building, which that was a lot of fun because there were all the offices were rented by typically people who were running their own business or mm-hmm. really small businesses, and they shared a common space. Yeah. And but in the office, there was nothing but two desks, two chairs, and just the window. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I I couldn't bring the studio. I I could I was not going to paint there either. Um, it was just I couldn't bring all this stuff. So I brought paper. And I thought, I'm just going to buy colored pencils and pencil, and I'll, I'll see what I do. I'll do some drawing. Mm-hmm. So the first day, we sit at the desk, and I think, okay, I'm used to working with these things, like making my drawing by picking up objects and playing with them. I have nothing here. I had drawn from my imagination before. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I sometimes would make something that I really liked, but many times I've felt... I was not that happy with those drawings. And I thought, well, I'm just going to try that. And I started making a drawing, two drawings. I'm not liking them. And I thought, well, what else am I going to do? And I and there was just a hook with two woolen scarves hanging there. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, let me try, see what I can do with this. And I started playing with them. And so that was the origin of one of the series that are yeah, now at Davis. Series, the animal right? series. Mm-hmm. And That's at Davis right now. Yeah. Right. And that I really got into it because these, I found that these scarves were ambiguous in that it, it, they were furry. Yeah. So it could be an animal. Yeah. But it, 
it, it, they also had strong resemblances to landscapes, depending on how you set them up. Yeah, yeah. I also didn't have, uh, I, I did have one lamp that I brought from my mother-in-law's uh, house. Mm-hmm. Oh, to uh, like 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 a the desk light to to, yeah. to at least have some lighting yeah. that to make it a little different. So I was making these little setups really small on the desk, and I would draw from that. And I really got into those. So when mm-hmm. I came back to the states, I continued yeah. working on those. And and at the beginning, they they were more landscapey, and they they started getting more animally, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. a little bit. Um, stranger. They seem very organic to me. That's kind of yes. what I see. Yes. Very yes. organic. Yes. More plant than animal. Oh, for you, it's more plant? Yeah. See, okay. Mm-hmm. I like that, uh, that, you know, people will make their yeah. own connections. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the furriness was what it, what, yeah. what, what says animal to me. But, yeah, yeah. um, so I find that that's what's great about being cornered mm. <laughs> into a situation with yeah. restrictions on what you can do. Um, where you don't have your usual things and then you maybe you have to do something else. And I also find how, through experiences like that, how the work you make will take a different character from mm-hmm. the, you know, what I'm using as models. Yeah, so outside input instead of just generating it all from inside of yourself. Yeah, what I find is when, when I work with the models... I get things to happen that I would not imagine, that mm. I that I would not think of. Yeah. Right. So you have the uh, actual accident, like you're standing something and then it falls, and then you see it before you pick it up, and you think, "Hey, that's not bad. This thing lying down." Yeah. And look at the shadow it creates. Or you and bump the light, or whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah. Or like you were saying last night, there's there's shades of colors and hues that you might not be able to create yourself without seeing them on mm-hmm. the model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you would be able to create them, but uh, I, I feel that at least we think in general in more, in more symbolic ways and more like, like I said, red and red is, is a certain type of red that we imagine, yeah, right? Yeah. But there is a huge diverse uh, Range, number of yeah. reds mm-hmm. that you could use. And so when you're looking at it, in nature, you see them, they're there for you to pick up. And, and I find for me, it's harder to come up with that in my imagination. And I'm sure that are painters that are super experienced from painting from nature and stuff that they can do that without having any reference. But for me, the reference is still very important. The reference being the model is very important. So I, I like this idea of changing the materials. And mm. for the other series of drawings that are at the gallery now, the Nuevo Mundo drawings, yeah. the models were more tissue paper that is kind of, you know, that I would uh, make wrinkly and, yeah, you crumple. know, crumple. Yeah. That was the word, crumple. <clears throat> and, or, and then I have a lot of those. And I started fooling around with them until they, I liked the shapes or... Uh, and that was my pandemic work. Yeah. And they 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 have they all have a, a small collage element, which are coming from grocery packaging. Mm-hmm. You know, like the bag of uh, lemons that you buy at H E B. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's you know, they have okay. a mesh that is yellow, for yeah. instance. And I thought, well, something can be done with this. And and it's a bit like the model jumping into the drawing to mm-hmm. some degree. Hmm. Um, but also, 
because of a lot of things that I've been thinking about um, in general, uh, since, since we moved, one of the things that I experienced when I moved was um, the awareness of how much stuff we have mm. and, you know, sure. the huge footprint, right? That uh, yeah. carbon footprint and everything. And I think, oh, we have all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And so, of course, the environmental issues are related Mm. Uh, to this awareness and and so these are these packagings these are all things that we throw away yeah yeah i mean it's just all plastic and we know what happens in the oceans so one of the drawings there that is like swirls with a yellow sky mm -hmm. are swell swirls of these materials and plastics and all refuse things and uh, and there are bits of of these materials mm -hmm. on it mm -hmm. um so these are all the context in which I am making these drawings. These are the things that I'm thinking about, yeah. right? And of course, then there is the pandemic. And I called the show Nuevo Mundo, which means new world in Spanish, because I feel we are in a new world. Yeah. And we are heading to a newer world, even, right. uh, even after all this is hopefully done, who knows when. I mean, you just look at a lot of developments that are happening in the world, like cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. non-fungible tokens. Yeah. I mean, these are t concepts that are relatively relatively new, yeah. I say, but yeah. they're taking over. Mm -hmm. uh, and pretty soon, a lot of the way the world works that we have taken for granted for many years, it's gone. There's something else. We, yeah. all the work online, the Zooming with friends and relatives that we were forced to do. Yeah. Um, you know, these were things that already were already happening, uh, but got it, accelerated. It totally sure. got accelerated, and so I, I, I think um, the speed of change in our world is is just, uh, and I think that's why, you know, a lot of people are feeling a little bit lost as to, mm. you know, what are we standing on, and yeah. so those those were all the, how can I say, underlying, yeah. Yeah. underlying thoughts that I, I had as I was making these drawings. And of course, whatever we are living through comes out in different ways through the work mm -hmm. um, uh, on top of our own psychology, temperament, associations, mm -hmm. uh, education, whatever, all these things. I think one time I heard Marlene Irvine give an artist talk and she talked about this soup that we are in, right? Yeah. And I thought, oh, I love that. I even told her, I love that yeah. metaphor. Yeah. Because that's, you have all this soup going on. Yeah. Maybe in your head and then you make some work, right? Mm -hmm. Does the work in the show, like if you, you're walking, if you're walking through the space and looking at all your work up mm -hmm. presented all together, does mm -hmm. it... What does it make you feel? Because I feel like it's very, as you were kind of talking about this, the soup and kind of the, mm -hmm. the speed of the world changing, your work to me feels very calm oh. in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels uh, like mm -hmm. these, if I could step into these worlds mm -hmm. um, that seem alien somewhat to me, if I could step into these worlds, they almost seem, uh, they just seem kind of like a very calm bubble benign sometimes mm. place that doesn't it doesn't feel dangerous it, okay it feels kind of yes they just feel very curious mm. and kind of uh 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, how did they make you feel? I mean, when you when you're looking at a specific piece that might have been inspired by something political or mm-hmm. something happened in the world, do you feel that angst? Do you feel, or do you, you know, what do you feel when you see? No, that? I'm just I'm just creating a metaphor of okay. of that. But uh, I love it that you see it like that because I think that is what happens is that my color associations, for example will totally be different from yours, most likely, and from anybody else's. And actually, I made a little experiment. And I, I asked a few people, if you, if you think of fear, close your eyes and think of a fearful situation or, or having fear, what color would you associate with mm. it, right? So you tell me. <laughs> I mean, I guess red is the first thing I think of. Okay, see, I would too. But I got people saying black, people saying lime green, mm, you know, uh, all sorts of things. Yeah. And then I asked them about hope and it was the same. All sorts, I thought I, thought I was going to find some common lines and, and I didn't. Mm. Um, just asking this simple question. Yeah, yeah. But of course, there are cultural associations to color too. I mean, color is, the meaning of color is very complex. Yeah. Cultural associations through different countries, through... Uh, different cultures, um, mm-hmm. you know, the white wedding dress and and yeah. in India, it's not white, you know, it's more like red and golds and things like that. So or flag colors, all these things, right. national colors. So when I use a very bright, I call it acid yellow, for me, that has to do with maybe climate change, uh, heat and, mm. right, but it's also a sunny color. So yeah. some people are, oh, look at this nice sunny drawing, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter, I think. I don't know. Maybe it should matter. <laughs> but I think, okay, I am thinking of this. I'm put this out, and you see something else. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should be held responsible for my, <laughs> But you're okay my, with your work not, even though it might be about climate change, it's not slapping people in the face yeah, about sl- I am. climate change. Yeah, because I think then if you, I don't want it to be that obvious, Okay, right? I mean, I could make a painting of garbage floating in the water, yeah, right? Right. And then, okay, this is clear. This is what it is about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people do that. They will paint industrial areas and paint pollution and... Because they feel this is a way of presenting this idea to a public and, and things. And, and, and that's fine. But I, I like to keep my work a little more maybe mysterious. Mm-hmm. Because my purpose is not to make a statement mm. about these things. I am painting about and drawing about these things. Oh, this is underlying maybe the way, you know, when I start putting the models together... Because I am worried about that, right? Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I don't think I want to... First of all, we all know about these things, right? right? Uh, I don't expect that I'm going to give a lesson to you or the viewer uh, about... However, you know, there are a lot of artists creating a lot of politically oriented work, but there is some very smart work done out there like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. I I can't do that. That's not that's not 
something I, I could, I would be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what I'm saying when I'm saying I'm thinking about all these things, these are, cause these are the things that interest me. These are the things that I'm thinking about. I have two daughters that are young, but they're adults. I have a, a grandson and I'm worried about what, what are they going to have? You know, yeah. I'm going to be okay. Right? right. I'm older. I'll, I'll be fine. But what are, what are they going to have? Mm-hmm. And there's always hope, of course, right? Yeah. That, you know, we will do things differently. That, um, but it is, it is a very present concern of mine. That is why it's underlying my work in that way. But I don't necessarily want it to be a topic of conversation when you see my work yeah. or a lesson or whatever. That's how it is. I, I don't know. Does I had it not, feel I, hopeful then, your work, when you look at it? Or do, what does it feel like when you just look at the whole s- scene of all your pieces up? It, to me, it looks like there is clearly a common thread. Yeah. That it is clearly the same person who has been doing this work for a long time. Yeah. It, makes, it reminds me of something. Susan Wynn was also my professor when I was at uh, UT. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one time she said, Every artist has one idea that they are always pursuing, mm. whether you know it or you don't know it. But I guess that's the underlying yeah. thread, mm-hmm. a certain concern, a certain something, right? And that I guess that, that, you know, when you see somebody's work, you see a certain connection. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in, so in my life is, is observing all these things in the world and worrying about them. <laughs> yeah. And then how it, and then it manifests. And then in it manifests itself in what I create. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. But I am not trying to make statements. So when somebody says, Oh, look at that nice, sunny drawing. I'm like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So where do you just to kind of finish up here? Mm-hmm. Because we've gone over an hour. Oh, okay. um, not that it matters. I just want to respect your time. Um, do you see, how, how do you see your work changing or progressing in the future? I mean, what, are you looking forward to anything mm-hmm. in particular? Yeah. Okay. I, I think that after this, I'll take some time to play with materials. Mm. I realize that this w- w- making is, is very important to me. And so I will continue playing with that, but I may not draw these things or paint these things right away. I just want to play. Mm. I just want to play with different materials. And I do, I've had for a while this idea of making like a giant installation with a lot of things that, uh, that I make, right. That, that may be a landscape or an installation. I just don't have the space, uh, studio space now to create something like that. But you know, it can be pieces of things that could be assembled together eventually. But I've had that in the back of my mind for a while that I would like to do something like that. And I, I do, I have made installations before, some hanging and that not very many, like two or three. And I, I enjoy that. So I thought maybe I'll just start making things and maybe, but I really like drawing and painting. So I may just say, Oh, what the heck? I will start drawing and painting them anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you like both. It sounds like equally. Yeah. 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 So. The idea now is I'm going to play with this. I, I have that installation idea, like big installation idea back in my head. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll be a bunch of things that I put together at some point. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe it won't. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, 
you know, from central in my life, my family, and maybe that is my Argentinian culture, my family is central in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm at a point in life that where my parents are very old and fragile and uh, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, yeah. they're going through a huge wave of COVID right now. Right. Not many vaccines. So that's a big concern. I'm planning sure. to go and see them sometime soon, as I haven't seen them in over a year. Yeah. I have a grandbaby that I love to spend time with. And, and then a daughter that lives in Barcelona mm -hmm. that I would love to, I love Barcelona that I would love to visit. And I haven't seen her also in over a year. So, you know, my, my life is about all these things. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I say I would love to do this and I would like it to happen, but things may get in the way and that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Life is so unpredictable. <laughs> it is. It is. But what we can predict is that, uh, the, uh, Nuevo Mundo show will be up at Davis gallery until June, June 12th. 12th. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend anyone listening to go who's made it this far and <laughs> to go, uh, check out and make an appointment and go visit that work and mm -hmm. just, uh, be in awe of the, uh, just how interesting it is. Thank I mean, I've you. just been so, uh, always been so fascinated and interested in your work. It mm -hmm. just, I love seeing things that I've never seen anything like it. And mm -hmm. it just, it's very, it's so curious to me. It just, mm -hmm. it, it, it's mm -hmm. interesting and curious to look at and okay. wonder. You Good. Know? It's I fun. love that. It's I fun. love that. When it, that's the point I, I had once an air conditioner guy come to fix our house and I had one of my paintings on the wall And it, the, the thermostat was next to it. And he's standing there looking at the painting for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say anything, right? It was one of these intricate, detailed yeah, yeah. toy paintings. And then we continued talking about the air conditioner. He never asked me anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, nice, I like that. Yeah, you stopped him in his tracks. That's cool. <laughs> so, good. So, if you go, make what you will of it. Yeah, right. That's I it. love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's thank it. you so much, Gladys, for your time. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks and for being on my show. I hope whoever listened to this, if they get through it, they got something out of yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think they will. They <laughs> absolutely right. will. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Safe travels. Thank you. Hey, it's Scott. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so appreciative of your time, investment, and listening to these conversations that I have with these amazing people. I'm very grateful for you. And if you want to learn more about me and the podcast, just check out scottdavidgordon.com. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.